Nothing happens in your life by accident. Nothing. You see, the Bible declares that our footsteps who are the redeemed are directed by the Lord. The real issue is, will we choose to walk his path? His path, of course, doesn't always take us to the top of the mountain, and we get to live there with a mountain view. His path sometimes is gnarly and curvy all through the sides of the mountain, sometimes in the deepest valley. The valley of the shadow of death, I've been there, and looking that the valley is so deep that the way the mountains are, you cannot see the bottom of the valley down there. You can look, try as you will, you just cannot see it. And there's sometimes that we know that in our life, that's the way it is. I mentioned, what if you lost your job? Well, that would probably take you from a very comfortable position on the side of a nice mountain with a pretty reasonable and decent view if you have reached that stage where you're living within your means. And all of a sudden, you were told your job is over, no severance. It wouldn't take you long to probably journey down to the valley of the shadow. And down there is where reality meets who you really are. How do you manage that? Who do you murmur to? Who do you complain to? And what do you complain about? And how do you talk to God in that regard? You see, in the realities of who we are, the Bible says to take off our cross and follow him, our lives really are susceptible to whatever God wants. And when I say, God, thy will be done, it means, God, whatever, whatever you do, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to understand that. For example, one of the great needs that came in this morning, one of our staff members, I guess um, uh, nephew, uh, found dead, 22 years of age, uh, went to VCA when he was younger, and just found him dead this morning up in Carolina. Uh, that family's spinning out of control. How would that happen to a young 22-year-old trying to revive, no reviving available with him? That coronation service will be this Sunday at 2 o'clock in the chapel. But that family, already on Facebook, flags going up and opinions and comments being made about that family. It's like, how do you manage that? What kind of questions are going to come with that? Why, God? What kind of questions are going to come? He was only 22. God, you know, we, we may have been faithful, or, or maybe they weren't. How do you manage all of those questions? And yet, as a redeemed believer, we are to say, boy, you have to take that in stride. You have to say, all right, God, to God be the glory, great things he has done. How long does it take you to recover from that? I know some of you have gone through the valley of the shadow. Many of you, I'm so proud of the way you managed it and the way you walked through. And there are others that just, may I use this term loosely, freak out, you know, just freak out. I mean, just go berserk. Getting us to where God wants us to be is a journey that only has promises that come from him. And I want to talk about the relationship between in 2 Kings, 
the second chapter. So if you have your Bible and you're going to go over there, you're going to go to 2 Kings, 2nd chapter. For those of you that are online, 2nd Kings is right after 1st Kings. And uh, you can take a look uh, right there. Glad to have you online tonight. God bless you. 2nd Kings, the second chapter, starting there in verse 1. Here's what I believe. One of the great blessings of being a believer is that God has a plan and a place for all of us. God knows where you are tonight. It's no surprise to him. He knows whether or not what it took for you to go through the process of jumping, jumping through the hoops to make the decision to be able to be here. He knew what you may have personally sacrificed to be here, and he had a plan, and he had a place. I can tell you for every member here at Victory Church, their place is to be in the house of the Lord. Not only is that, God has a place and a ministry for all of us. So if I were to say, well, what is your ministry? Could you describe it? If I were to sit down with you and say, tell me, how are you plugged in? What are you doing? Or are you uh, just coming and, and you know you're enjoying the message and you're enjoying the worship and you're enjoying the place and sure, you pay your time, but where are you rolling your sleeves up and what is your ministry? Can you describe that? And if you say, I have a ministry, then let me ask you this question. What kind of fruit do you have? What's the manifestation of the fruit that you have as a result of, of that ministry? Here's another. We all have purpose. God designated us with, an, with a purpose that says, that is my plan and that is my purpose. That is for those of us that are redeemed. Now, we know that, that living a Christian life uh, can be an enjoyable experience, but not every circumstance that happens to us is an enjoyable experience. And these are days in our culture, days of conflict. We know what conflict is. It's conflict in the culture. I don't know about you, but I get, I get so, uh, I get, I get so uh, exercised. I'll use that word. I get so exercised the minute I turn on the news and I begin to listen to some of the stuff that, that are there. And I'm thinking, gracious, alive. And if you just fed on that, just doesn't take long, doesn't take all day, just for a few hours. I'm telling you, if you have any core value at all in the Word of God, you're going to say, boy, I see that conflict between the powers of darkness and the power of God. And we have to learn it's not a party versus another party versus an independent party. If you look through the eyes of the Spirit, you will see that the battle and the warfare is going on in our culture. And you might say, boy, it's worse today. Let me encourage you. Read the Old Testament and then ask yourself, just how bad is it when the dictator of a community can say, I think there's a little king that's born somewhere and he's under two years of age and I'm going to take on my and I'm going to order the military to go out and take the life of every male under the age of two. I don't think it's that bad yet. Somebody agree with me? So it's been bad before. We know that it's a time of confrontation. Confrontation may not necessarily be between you and another person. How many has ever had conflict and confrontation negatively with somebody else? May I see your hand? Go ahead and get it up. Are you sitting near them? Ah, let me tell you. Sure, but you know where confrontation takes place? The greatest confrontation is between you and you. Did you know that? You and you calling yourself into accountability. Looking yourself in the mirror and say, do I have conflict with you? Do I have conflict with my inner man, with my spirit man? Does my fleshly nature fight 
greatly against my spiritual nature? Or do I allow my spiritual nature to try to overcome and conquer? Now, the enemy will always stack up your human nature to give you a reasonable thought process to believe that your spirit man is not strong enough and that you need to do better. And then we live in a world today of convenience. We know that. Uh, someone asked me the other day as we were talking about football coaches in our football program and, and one coach as we were engaging in dialogue and interview and all that went with it, they asked this question, are your players soft? I thought, well, let me think about that now because I watched several of them knock another person's, you know, uh, you've heard the expression, their block off. Are our players soft? No, I don't, I don't think. Then I got to think about what, what does that mean? It means that, that we live in a world today of convenience, that we, we have things at our fingertips. I mean, gracious alive, do you know that my grandkids don't even know what a road map is? Did you know that? How many remember when you used to drive, you had to have somebody holding the road map so that you could follow that road wherever you wanted to go, and you drove real slow looking at the numbers on places of business. Today, GPS it, throw it in there, and drive right up to the door unless your GPS has gone nuts. Days of convenience. But these are days where sin doth abound, then grace, that's spiritual where sin, where challenge, where temptation, where the pull of anxiety, the pull of disappointment, when the pull of prayers not being answered, when the pull of, of not seemingly having the dream, it's more of a nightmare lately. When those things are there, it says when sin, when those kinds of things are there, the grace of God or the favor of God abounds that much more. If you learn to calculate in your mind what it means to know if you're facing giants, it's because the devil understands the threat that you have to his kingdom. And he doesn't send midgets. Have you ever noticed that? Nothing wrong with midgets. But he sends giants. But you know what? God is a giant killer, amen? Through you and through me in the process. And all of us who followed the desire to do the will of God through the demands of the Holy Spirit, all we have to do in these last days, and I believe God is willing, is to ask God. And then be prepared to buckle our seatbelts up and allow the Holy Spirit to minister in and through us. So when I say, thy will be done, that means today, whether I've got a mountain view, that means tomorrow, whether I can't see in the deepest part of the valley, and I cannot explain how I got here and plummeted that far. We have the story tonight of a very, very familiar, one man mentors another man, an older man, mentors a young man. And we know that that young man had purpose in the kingdom of God. And this is how it plays out in 2 Kings 2, verse number 6. Elijah, who was the senior prophet, said to him, speaking about Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, 
as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. That's Elisha speaking. So the two of them walked on. Elijah was the prophet who was called by God to provide information and instruction and correction. He very seldom gave words of encouragement. The Old Testament prophet usually didn't come to encourage. They came to correct. They came to challenge. They came, of course, to share with you if this is what you're supposed to be doing and if this is what you're doing, then I'm telling you this is what's going to happen. And that was Elijah. And for people to listen, we know that God knew about human nature. People listen better if, in fact, you can part a river. Hello? If you can walk out and part that pond out there, I promise you, you're only going to need to do it once and say the one who parted the pond on Wednesday night is going to be with us next Wednesday night. And not only is he going to part that pond, but he's going to pray for the sick and they are going to be healed. You better save your seat, friend. People listen, but that's what God gave the prophets the power to be able to do. And so Elijah knew that something of a transition was going to take place. And we remember how Elijah went home to be in the presence of Almighty God. So Elisha was one of the individuals that had been in what's considered to be the school of prophets. And of course, it was not, they still had to work. And Elisha is out in the field and he is plowing the field, doing his task, the mundane responsibility, that is getting up, going to work, punching the clock or not punching the clock, coming in, having dinner, getting the place, watching television, going to bed, reading his stories, his scripture, etc., in the routine duties. And out of nowhere, God hit him with a purpose that changed his world in the middle of that plow field. In the middle of the plow field. In other words, it's like, hey, you lost your job. You're going to have to answer right now how you're going to respond to this plan and this purpose. Elijah laid his cloak on the shoulders of Elisha, and Elisha knew what that meant. And because he was a part of the school of prophets and had, in fact, learned, it was a moment of joy and excitement. And God placed that purpose through Elijah on Elisha's life. And many times in our life, our life can become mundane and routine. You say, well, mine's not mundane and routine. I got one giant, one problem, one pressure, one stress right after another. There's nothing the same in my life. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. It could be worse. That's a prophetic word. How about that? It could be worse. Many times we have significant opportunities to move through God in the process. And we respond as Elisha responded with joy or excitement or determination and willing position. But in the long haul, have you ever had opportunities that came your way to say, man, I'm really going to enjoy this. I think this is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. But in the long haul, in that journey, 
if you're not simply being interrupted by challenges and things are going well, you understand that, well, circumstances begin to prevail and you begin to see the downside in the midst of the good side. You know, I got a pay raise, but I'm having to work 10 more hours a week longer. I'm making now $25,000 a year more than I was, but I'm missing Sunday services. The downside that is there. And here's what would happen. Sometimes in this walk with God, and we're walking along beautifully, and the circumstance hits us. Lou, you call it whatever you want to. The circumstance hits you, and in your global purpose for God, Whatever it is that happened, it challenges you to slow down. It challenges you to become a bit discouraged. It challenges you to say, what's the use? It challenges you to say, why should I keep sacrificing? It challenges you to look back and say, look at all the things that I have done. And now, listen, I should not be having to go through this and this circumstance. And the enemy does those kind of emotional, mental, emotional situations in your life over and over again. And you're challenged to back away from the press of commitment. The challenge to be committed. So on three different occasions, Elijah said to Elisha, hey, I'm going to go over to Bethel. I'm going to go to Jericho and Jerusalem, but I want you to stay here while I go to Bethel. Now, this is the major prophet, Elijah, saying to Elisha, this is after the cloak is placed on his shoulders, hey, I want you to stay here while I go to Bethel. Now, you are wrestling. You're wrestling with a keen decision. You're wrestling, okay, this is the major prophet. He told me to stay here. And if he's the major prophet, I'm going to do what he says. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Well, what about Jericho? Here's what he says. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Now, I want you to pay attention. That was, in fact, the first command that Elijah had for Elisha. And Elisha had been in the school, and he knew, no matter what, stay true to your commitment, stay true to the command, and stay true to the purpose. What is your purpose, Elisha? My purpose is to follow Elijah and to be certain that I am with him in order to learn. Even if Elijah says to me, or in fact, try this on for size, creates a circumstance that I could take a shortcut or creates a circumstance that I could lay back or creates a circumstance whereby I may not be as committed, what am I going to do? I'm going to take the shortcut, I'm going to back off the commitment, or am I going to stay as committed as I've ever been and say, as surely as my God lives, I am not going to leave you. You can tell me not to come with you, but listen, I made a commitment. I am coming. I'm coming. I'm sticking with you. My purpose is to be with you, and I won't allow the circumstance, no matter what you say, and I respect you deeply, 
my purpose, if we are to pierce the darkness, if the church is to pierce the darkness, and you are, you are darkness piercers, I can tell you that. If you're going to keep that commitment, then you're going to have to keep your purpose of what God told you in the beginning to do. And you're going to have to let determination rule and you're going to have to learn to keep priorities, spiritual priorities, in order. I was speaking to someone today about commitment. And in commitment, I talked to them about sports programs and now that often sports programs today happen to have activities on Sunday, practices, games, etc., as if it was not the Lord's day. And the person spoke up and said, yeah, many people in that arena believe Sunday is just a second Saturday. But what do you do with forsake not the assemblings of yourselves on the Lord's day? The priority. Some of you whom I'm proud of, I know and in, in life have said, hey, my kid plays that sport, but, but we go to church on Wednesday night, and we go to church on Sunday, and the priority of who we are is defined by that commitment. Are you all with me out there? I'm just here to tell you, I know my online community is with me, okay? Hopefully, you all stay with me. You keep the priorities, and you don't lose hope. Elisha knew that God was going to move and he wanted to be a part of it. How did he know that? You see, when, it, when, when Elijah called Elisha, here's what he did. He slaughtered his oxen. He said, the means by which I make a living and that I am productive happen to be those oxen, and he slaughtered them. He took his plow, which was his tool or his instrument, in order to lure him back to the field. I don't have any oxen, so what good is this plow? And he destroyed the plow. And then he turned and he told, and in that day, culture, you did not tell your family goodbye. He said to them, goodbye, meaning I may not see you ever again. I won't be at the family reunion located in Georgia, located in Atlanta, located in West, lo, wherever it's located. I won't be there because I have a high calling. Are you against family reunions? No, I love family reunions. All of them. Why do you like them? Yes. Promise. <coughs> the promise. Take hold of it. I have a promise. I've shared this example in my purpose and my plan. In my first ministry, I was alone. Our first church, you know, it's small, very small. You, you couldn't even call it a church. But I remember the torment. And I remember as a young person, barely 21, 22 years of age in that desolate swamp place of working two jobs and yet preaching three times a week in preparation, digging it out, 
that, oh, the numerous times that home looked better, that my professional abilities, if you weren't in ministry, many people have told me through, if you weren't in ministry, I'm telling you, buddy, you'd have a business, you'd make a ton of money. If you had with your, et cetera, all the time, don't you think that that rocks your world? When you got to ask on Sunday, uh, how much came in the offering? Well, this week we're going to be able to give you, looks like $23. Wonderful. That's great. I remember that. I remember driving to larger churches for meetings. And I think, wow, they have a paid parking lot. Look at that. Wow. They don't have 32,000 BTU air conditioners blasting from the sidewalls. They have central air. I look at that and say, wow, they even have an office. I shared an office with rats and their smell. I remember those things. I remember when the first lady I ever baptized, I stepped in a deep hole in the Manatee River. And when I came up, almost drowned, grasping for breath, she's floating on out to the Gulf. (laughs) I remember that. Didn't bother her near as much as it did me. It embarrassed me. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That purpose that's there. So I had plenty of opportunity to turn around. But then I remembered the promise and the call of God is without repentance. Amen? The salvation that you and I have is so valuable. 2 Kings 2.9, when they crossed, talking about the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, um, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. It's that open-ended question. It's like, God, thy will be done. Lord, I really want your will. It's like God saying back to us, exactly what does that mean to you? What does it mean when you say to me, my will be done? Are you going to allow me to do whatever I think is necessary to grow you? Are you going to allow me to use you as a testimony? Maybe for something you did or you have not done in order that I might get glory and other people might receive redemption? Are you saying that to me? If you want my will Are you praying and are you believing and you're giving me free reign and you're not going to worry and you're not going to get distressed? Does it mean you're going to dig deeper and give me honor and glory? Is is that what it means when you say, Lord, my will be done? Or tell me, are there bookends that you have pre-established as to how much room I'm going to have in your life? Tell me, tell me what I can do. Lord, your will 
The question has no limitations that he asked. It was the promise to be fulfilled. It was the reward of commitment. It was the question within a question. You see, how we answer that question sometimes relates to our own welfare. If we're in great need, we might answer that question. Tell me what I can do for you. We might answer that question. If we're in great need, we might answer it one way. But if life is good and we're in abundance, we might answer that question another way. You see, that draws our attention to the reality that often our answers are subject to our feelings or our circumstances that might be called bookends. How far do I get to go with you? How far will you understand if you wake up and your 22-year-old son is dead? How are you going to manage that? You see, we're committed to an intense focus of purpose. And God's question is always for us this. How can I flow through you so that my power might be revealed? How can I allow you, how can you allow me that you will be a conduit that I can flow? If I say I promise never to leave you nor forsake you, if I say to you, that I will provide for you if I say to you that the flood will not overtake you and the fire will not burn you. If I say that, think of, of thousands of times that, that God may have opened a supernatural door for you had the bookends not been there. Think of the times that you've been challenged with an opportunity, but it would make a little things uncomfortable or think of the times that maybe ministry opportunities have come your way. I mean, just think about it. A ministry opportunity for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you said, not now. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. Not now. Say to the King of Kings. Or just maybe we moved upon by the Holy Spirit in a particular service. Or you're standing in a shopping line and God says, you know what? I want you to take time to witness to that person, I, or a server that comes to the table, or, or maybe, listen, I want you to reach in your pocket and do something, and, and that through the Word of God, here's what he said. Let, let me inherit, you remember, a double portion of your spirit. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. In other words, give me everything you have and double it. That's what I want. I want everything you have and double it. But listen carefully and give your, give your gray matter time to think about this. Do you have any idea how much responsibility and accountability comes with the answer to a request like that? Do you have any idea when you say that what you're in for. Do you really know what that means? I want a double portion. Well, let me give you just carefully what it meant. In the days of Moses and Abraham, 
it was important because the only person in the family that got the double portion among the sons was the firstborn son. The firstborn son, according to the law, got a double portion. The firstborn son. You remember the stories in the Bible of how individuals fought to have that firstborn inheritance? But the firstborn got a double portion. And this is what Elisha was saying to Elijah. Hey, I want to be your firstborn son. I want to be the one that you cast upon me a cloak of responsibility. And I am willing to assume it. And I'm willing to take it. When he went to Bethel, Bethel, of course, is where Jacob's ladder took place. It's where Abraham prayed. When I, when I go to Jericho, I'm going to Jericho, and you stay here. No, Jericho's the place that Joshua had his first miracle, the first city of the land of promise. It was there. I'm going there, going to place of prayer, going to place where they had to fight to have the inheritance. I'm going to Jericho. Jericho separated the desert land. Jericho separated the lack of the land of promise for the land of promise. You had to get across Jericho in order to have the promise. I'm going to Jericho. You just wait. I'm going there. No siree. Elisha said, I want to go. I want to go where the people who were the great men and women of God, I want to go there. I want to go to Bethel. I want to pray. I want to be able to talk to God. I want to go to Jericho. I want to be able to stand up and be able to be able to fight for what it is I believe that God has. God, I'm, I'm willing to march around the walls, and I'm willing to go to that which separates me from mediocrity, that separates me from a blank contract into the land of excellence and great promise. And I submit to you that there are many people in the spiritual community and in the work community today and socially, many men and women in their lives in the natural have become rather comfortable on the side of mediocrity rather than parting the water of faith and parting the water of absolute commitment and walking into the land of promise, especially if they know the first thing they have to do in the promised land is to take down a city or a challenge. But I can suggest to you that there are men and women that we look at that are phenomenal, who have paid the price, who have parted the waters. When Victory Church first started, and we could not borrow a toothbrush. And we had no pencils. We had no paper when the church started. And it came time to build that building. And no bank would loan this church any money because they were afraid of us. And even though there were those of astute character and financial means that served on the board, it was not enough for Victory Church that just came about and was in the newspapers about every other day. Not until, not until some of the leadership on that church board and some are in this room tonight said, we will sign personally and severally to guarantee the money out of our own personal funds, out of our own businesses to get the money 
to build that building. That parted the Jordan River. And now there's not a bank in town that wouldn't, but what they wouldn't love to have the business of Victory Church. Why? Because somebody said, we have to be willing to cross over. So here we are, Elijah with Elisha, and we know then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water. This is Elijah. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked, when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over in a whirlwind. What does that mean? The whirlwind that lifted Elijah out of sight, the mantle of anointing, and the power fell upon Elisha. You know the story, and it was there. It was symbolic of several things to come in the future. One, it was Jesus' ascension back to the Father. They stood there gazing, gazing into the clouds, wondering where, where did he go? And the Spirit came and said, why are you men standing here gazing, looking up? Now turn around and get busy. It was symbolic of the fall of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It was also symbolic, get this now, of the Holy Spirit that comes down and speaks to us and moves us and guides us spiritually in worship services. It's that same power and that same spirit. We know that the young prophets asked Elisha, he was the only one that saw Elijah go, the only one. And they came and said, hey, where have you hidden Elijah? He said, I didn't hide him. He went on in a whirlwind. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we trust you. Well, Elisha said, well, let me show you something. Walk with me to the Jordan. He took the cloak and he said, God, the God of Elijah, you parted it for Elijah, and now you promise me I move the bookends, I am all in, I left my family, killed my ox, burned my plow, and I have not denied the sense of purpose in my life. Now, here's the cloak, and he threw it down, and the river opened up, and he walked across that river by the same power of God. And then when he said, he went up in a whirlwind. They said, well, we appreciate that. But do you mind if we look for him? Now, I don't know about you. Probably somebody like me would have said, you know what, this cloak? He just opened the Jordan River. And I'm going to twirl this cloak. And I'm going to believe that God will take you out. But you know what? When you're secure, that you know you know you are on mark and mission, he said, go ahead and look for him. Go ahead and look for him, boys. Take your time. They came back exhausted, and they came to the realization, he's not here. May I suggest to you, this message is for you. May I suggest to you that in your life there are still rivers that need to be parted. May I suggest to you that there are still questions that are unanswered. But if there are no bookends, 
to God's guidance and anointing in your life, you won't get jittery. You'll just be able to declare, Lord, I want your will. Thy will be done. The Bible said at the end of the day, Elisha did more than double all the things that Elijah did. But it wasn't to say, look what Elisha has done. It was for God to get more glory because everybody was fixed on, look at the greatness of Elijah. And God said, don't just settle for Elijah. Look what the latter rain can do. There is more in these last days to come than you can imagine. Would you give the Lord a clap offering and stand on your feet? Amen. Go ahead and stand, everybody. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the love of Jesus Christ. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you because there, there is the, there's a message that you have to all of us. Now, we know that some of us heard it a little differently than others, and that's okay. The Word of God is fluid. The Word of God is life. And some may have gotten whole paragraphs out of the message, and then some may have only gotten one point. As a matter of fact, some might even gotten a little disturbed and mad. But, Lord, we know that's what conviction does. Not everybody's happy when the Word of God is presented. But the reality is truth stands on truth. And it can be challenged, and it still remains true. And time can pass, and it still remains true. God, because truth does not pass away. My word will live forever. That's what your word declares. So, Father, would you speak to every heart and every individual in this room? Would you touch those online and live broadcast? Would you minister to them right now and let them grasp hold of this promise? We are believing you for the miraculous. And we believe that for those that might be listening who do not know you, that they've not settled their account, that they're not serious, they've been divided in their attention as to serving you and the core of who they are has lost its way. I pray right now we're going to ask you for forgiveness and you will forgive us in Jesus' name. Would you repeat this prayer, everyone together? Those of you that are on live feed, just repeat this prayer. Here we go. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I have sinned. I have made mistakes and I have messed things up. But I need you. I confess my sins and I believe by faith that you are going to anoint me, you are going to heal me, you are going to forgive me, and you are going to use me for your honor and glory. I declare tonight, thy will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, and God spoke to your heart, and you know you feel like you had a target on you tonight, you believe that the Holy Spirit has hit the bullseye in your life, and you know that. Let me encourage you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Be guided by the Holy Spirit. Start right now at the altar call of being obedient to the Lord. God, I, I know what I need to do, and do that. Or maybe you were not right with Jesus, and you made it right. Just come on out. 
You know, if, you, if you're ashamed of me before men, the Bible says, I'll be ashamed of you before my heavenly Father. Or you need healing, and you know that. God's Word is, come on down, we're going to pray. So we're going to sing it once, we're going to wait for you to come, and then I'm going to give you the benediction. Would you do that? Just come as God directs you right now.